We'll be looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Now, Thanksgiving week is upon us. You'll be surrounded by food, family, friends, in-laws, hopefully not outlaws. But whatever your week looks like, this, it's remarkable, this passage that we have for Thanksgiving week. And I'm not smart enough to coordinate the two, believe me. But I just uh, had three books of the Bible that were pressing on my heart uh, this, uh, before I even got here. And I've shared this with you before. The first was Joshua. And we did 10 or 11 weeks in Joshua. And then we examined Nehemiah. We went through the entire book. And the third book was the book of Acts. And just walking through uh, 12 or 13 weeks, the book of Acts together. And I never know where the passages will land. Or there'll be weekends, I might be out of town, the speaker, uh, the preacher may not fall on our preaching calendar, or we'll have uh, answers in Genesis. And this weekend, you won't believe the topics that the passage gives us. Are you ready for this? Number one, complaining during family meals. <laughs> number two, showing favoritism at family meals. And number three, delegating duties and responsibilities. So maybe we'll learn how to delegate our cleaning of our dishes pretty well through this passage. We'll find out what the word has for us. And each week I share with you, uh, you, several people have told me, you know, you're stepping on my toes this Sunday, or be careful, preacher, you're reading my mail. But I have to tell you from all my heart, all I do every Sunday is just preach to myself. And I, I need to hear the Word of God. And the Word of God convicts me as I prepare it, and all you do is just hear me preach to myself. And the passage of complaining that we see starting out is a passage that I'm very tempted with. And our passage starts out and says in 6.1, Now there came in these days uh, when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint. And this complaint, uh, I'm going to argue, and uh, many scholars will argue, this is very negative. And for me, I say this is negative, not because they didn't have something worthy of complaining of, but the manner of which they went about complaining. And the reason, uh, number one, I'm going to show you this, is the pattern. And then the number two reason this is negative is the word and the Greek that's used. The pattern that we see here in Scripture is God does a great thing, and then the devil counters. God does, and then the devil does. God does, and the devil does. And here we see the Lord is doing a great move, and the church began preaching, and then we're told Ananias and Sapphira. That whole event happened. There was an attack on the church from within. Then the church began preaching, and lost people were getting saved, and then an attack happened from the outside in, and Peter and John are put in prison. And then they're released, and it's the Lord's turn. And they're, they're preaching again, and the word is growing, and then they get arrested again. And here, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now in those days when the disciples were increasing, this would be the Lord's work. Now we see another attack on the church. There came a complaint. Great things are happening in the ministry. There are people who are, are getting saved left and right. The word is being taught. The gospel is being proclaimed. Men, women, and children of all ages are, are learning about Jesus. and They're learning to follow him and dedicate their lives to him. More people are adding to the body of Christ exponentially. This is a, a win, win, win for the kingdom. Are you getting the picture? A good thing was happening. And then the, the, the train is halted with this word in the Greek, complaint. And this would be as if I told you we, we went to an outdoor wedding yesterday. Thunderstorm. Or maybe I told you I bought my dream car last week, accident. Or maybe I got the job that I really loved, layoff. That's the way this structure is written in the Greek language. The church is increasing, the disciples are increasing, complaint. The Holy Spirit is unifying the people, magnifying the ministry, and supplying the needs. 
Christians are bold. They pray for boldness. The angel tells them, go, stand, speak. So what do they do? They go and they stand, they speak. The devil attacked from the outside, the inside, and the church kept on keeping on. They kept the main thing, the main thing. And to use it in Nehemiah's terms, they never came down off the wall, the wall of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what the enemy brought their way. And now we're told a complaint. This word in the Greek language is a fun word to say, although it's not a a positive word. It has three syllables. Are you ready to hear this one? Gong, goose, moss. Gong like the gong show, goose like a bird, and moss like it grows on a tree. Are you ready to say it with me? Gong, goose, moss on the count of three. One, two, three. That's the word. Now you're fluent in that Greek word, gong, goose, moss. This is a very negative term. This is, a, this is more than issuing just a complaint. It's taking something that you're, you're dissatisfied with. Where your preference is not being met and you, and you spread your, your, your grievance among the people. It literally means a murmuring or a grumbling. The word itself means a low-tone whisper of dissatisfaction in a divisive way that can bring about dissension. Uh, certainly something that you disapprove of and it's murmuring, grumbling, whispering. I think you get the picture. And as we minister together, I I can't think of a a better word for us to know as we're in ministry and just wanting to live the Christian life, that there's always going to be the grumblers and the complainers. And I, for one, as I go through this passage, had to check my heart several times this week saying, Lord, I don't want to be a grumbler and a complainer. I don't want to have my life characterized as a person who grumbles and complains. And why should we not grumble and complain? Because God is sovereign. He is sovereign over every event of your life. He orchestrates. And I'm going to show you in the Word of God in just a moment that when we grumble, when we do complain, we're not grumbling against people. We're grumbling against the Lord. Here this grumbling is taking place, and it's very draining. I think you will agree agree that draining is complaining, is discouraging. No one's ever said, "I, I need some encouragement today. Can I find someone who will complain to me? Right? We understand this. We know that grumbling and complaining is draining. But friends, grumbling is a a fruit of the flesh. Murmuring, complaining, it's a fruit of the flesh. It produces divisions and dissensions. In Galatians 5, we're given a list of the fruit of the flesh. And among that list, there's strife, jealousies, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. All of this comes out of a heart that's complaining, that's disgruntled, that can't be thankful in situations. By the way, thankfulness, the opposite of that would be complaining. We can't complain about things we're thankful for, can we? And we've already read the verse in our opening of our service that tells us we should be thankful in all circumstances, in every circumstance of life. And not only are we, are we to, to be thankful in every circumstance of life and to rejoice, that passage tells us. But listen to what the Word of God tells us about complaining and grumbling in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Philippians 2, 14, Paul writes, do all things without grumbling. That word in the Greek is gongusmos. It's only used four times in the the Bible. Do everything without gongusmos. Do all things without grumbling, complaining, murmuring, or disputing. The word disputing there means arguing. And where do you think Paul was when he wrote this? Do you think he was at Disney World? 
You think he was on the beach in the Caribbean soaking up the sun? And you might read that verse and say, well, come on, Paul, you don't know what I'm going through in life. I have a reason. I have a justified reason to complain. When Paul wrote, do all things without gongusmas, he was in prison. He was in horrible situations under the Roman authority, falsely accused by the Jewish leadership. He was treated very unfairly. In the midst of being treated unfairly, where his circumstances, believe me, were not favorable. Of being a very dissatisfied situation in his life, he writes, do all things without grumbling and complaining and arguing and murmuring. What an inspiration that is for us. That is from the Word of God. We are commanded in First Philippians 2.14 to do all things without grumbling and complaining and arguing. So therefore, when we do it, it's sin. And when I grumble and complain about elected officials or policies or the weather or Thanksgiving or there's 20 people in the room and I want to watch what I want to watch on TV that I'm sinning against God because God orchestrates all the details of our lives. This word complain, it simply means to express dissatisfaction or annoyance about something. And just by observation here, we see that this happens after growth. And the growth that we see here is a, it's a quantitative number. It's, it's numeric growth. This isn't spiritual growth yet. We're seeing people are getting saved but they're not growing spiritually. What we have here is a spiritual baby boom. The thousands of people are getting saved left and right. And the moment we get saved, we're not called an adult in Christ. We're not a mature person in Christ. We're infants in Christ. That's by God's design. We come to Christ as infants, so we begin to grow and mature by the Word of God. And whenever there's a spiritual baby boom and, and lots of new people are getting saved, we have lots of infants, what do infants do? They cry. And it's only through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God that we're able to grow and mature. And the more people mature in their faith, the less crying and complaining we should do, right? The less our life is characterized as someone who complains. Paul writes about this stage of infancy for believers when we get saved, when he writes to young believers in 1 Corinthians 3.1. Paul uses the term infants and baby to describe young believers in their faith. He says, but I write... But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And so now the church has a, a large influx here uh, of new believers. And this leads us to principle number one, that fruitful ministry is met with frustrating complaints. Fruitful ministry will be met with gongusmas. It's the nature of the beast. And what the people need who are, who are complaining is the, the Word of God to be preached and taught to them that they might grow. And here we see that, that God takes the complaints seriously. He takes the complaining of His people to heart. Now I'm going to read from Exodus 16:8 that when Moses and Aaron, they knew very well the complaints of God's people. Because the Jews were complaining to Moses and Aaron. I don't know how they did it. But they put up with complaint after complaint after complaint from God's people. And God saw it. And they told God, Lord, your people are so complaining. And the Lord said to them, Moses and Aaron, I need to tell you something. Though When my people complain, they're not complaining to you. They're complaining to me. The Lord is the object of our complaints when I complain, when you complain. Exodus 16, 8 tells us this. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, 
in the, in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling and that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Numbers 14, 26 through 30 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against me. Say to them, as, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall enter into the land which I swore that I will make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the, the son of Nun. How serious does God take complaining among his people? Is that only convicting to me? Because this week I'd find myself complaining or grumbling about something. And thankfully I have a very godly wife who was very quick to point out your grumbling. <laughs> I'd say, you're right. I need to stop. I need to be thankful. Friends, we all struggle with grumbling and complaining. But as God's people, we need to stop. We need to lean on the sovereignty of God and trust him in the circumstances of life. This grumbling and complaining is a sin. Psalm 106, 25 through 27 gives us more detail about the grumbling of Israel against God. The word tells us, they murmured in their tents. This is grumbling, complaining. And they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, as a result of their murmuring, he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness. It would not, and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattered among the lands. Now I have to pause and ask you, how, how much of your time this week have you spent grumbling and complaining? How much of your time this year? Looking at all that there is in this world, it's so tempting for you and I to grumble and complain when our preferences are not being met. When the things that we desire, that we want to happen, our default position is to grumble and complain. The Lord desires his people to trust him and not grumble and whisper among ourselves. And to whom was this complaint? The scriptures tell us by the Hellenist rose against the Hebrews. This is, this is another problem. This is another sin, another uh, dilemma in the church because we're seeing a group of believers show partiality to another group that are a little different than they are. A group of God's people. These are, are saved uh, Jews. Christian Jews from within Israel, They're, they live in uh, Jerusalem, and now there's been an influx since Passover of Jews who live outside of, of Israel, who live in the Greek-speaking land. And they don't speak the same language here of the, the Jews who, who live inside of Israel, and so they're, they're being shown partiality. If there's any group that needed help, it was the Hellenistic Jews because they're far from their land. They've come on this pilgrimage to Passover, and they're, they're far from their jobs. There, there are no banks that you walk to in a different city like we have now, where you could have a bank in every city you visit and draw money out of the ATM. They would have carried the money that they had with them. They come to Israel, and they get saved, and they stay, and now they're out of money. They're in a desperate situation to, be, to need help from the church. And here they're being looked down upon is, the, is what it applies from the text. Listen to what the Bible says about showing partiality in the church. James 2.1 says, My brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James 2.9 continues and tells us, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin 
and are convicted by the law of the transgressors to show partiality of sin. So what we had here was the sin of partiality led to the sin of complaining, grumbling, and murmuring among the people. There was a whispering in their tent, so to speak. Dr. Mosey and I were speaking about this recently, and he, he made the observation. He says, you know, Charlie, our tents are a lot different today. He says, our tents have Wi-Fi. I thought, well, that's a brilliant observation. He says, then they just grumble to each other's faces, but now we have a tendency to grumble to one another on the phone, don't we? We have a, a tendency to, to grumble our text messages and our murmuring and stirring up divisiveness through our social media accounts. That the ability for us to grumble is magnified even more by the technology today. Here we have another opportunity for Satan to attack the church by using people with differences who are in the church. You see, the world does that. Satan uses the world to attack people with differences. And the world knows uh, that division equals dollars. The world, the media, politicians want to keep us divided. They hate the gospel because the gospel unites people. It truly brings unification of people. Galatians 3.28 tells us that there is, there, is neither diff- there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Friends, principle number two in your outline is this, is that when you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God the Father and reconciled to one another as members of God's family. We are equals. We are brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what our skin color is or where we're from around the globe. It doesn't matter what our language is. We protect and take care of one another. The world likes to tell us that there's different races, but the Bible says there's only one race. We all came from Adam and Eve. It's the human race. Acts 17, 26 tells us this, and he made one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. We are all one man with different ethnicities. Next, we're told what the complaint was more specifically. Because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Again, this is the the sin of partiality. That their widows would be neglected. There appears to be no attempt to ratify this problem or solve it on their own except to grumble amongst themselves. Number two, verse two tells us, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve the tables. And here we see, friends, that as the church grows... As the number of believers grow and Jerusalem is swelling now with new believers, that there's new demands on the church. And what they're experiencing here is growing pains. Every organization, when it grows, has growing pains, not just the church. Giving the fiscal food was not the priority of the apostles. Their priority was to give spiritual food. So what they do is they assemble men. They get men together to take care of the fiscal needs while they care for the spiritual needs. Principle number three is that the primary purpose of the church is not to be a physical food bank. The primary purpose of the church is to be a spiritual food bank. And that doesn't mean that we should neglect people's needs. We take care of people's needs, but we're not to neglect our primary purpose of teaching and preaching the Word of God. Every ministry is paramount. Every, every position within the church is extremely crucial to fulfill the mission that we've been given by God. Serving the tables is not beneath the apostles. It is not beneath them. But if they are to stop preaching and teaching the word of God, people will not be fed spiritually. Lost people will not get saved. 
Those babes, those infants in Christ will not grow and mature in their faith without the word of God being preached and proclaimed. The body needs the preaching of the word of God. Verse number three tells us here, therefore, so then, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this duty. And here we see the evolving of the church leadership structure to accommodate the new demands. As the church grows, the structure is modified, the organization's getting better. And here we see the formation of a biblical position of deacons. Deacons are a very important role for every church. And recently we nominated uh, a group of men in our church for deacon and elder. The nominated deacons are currently going through the nomination process if they accept that nomination. Those who accept it will be brought to church before the church soon in December for, for your affirming of them. The elders have tweaked the process or upgraded the process for eldership to better serve the elder candidate and the needs of the church. For those who have already served as elder, those nominated have, uh, two have been asked to come back according to uh, the affirming of the church in December. That's Craig George and Jerry Anderson. And the other candidates who have not served as elder before who have accepted this responsibility are continuing on the process for 10 months of a, a training and intense discipleship program to better equip them for the role of being an elder. And this is for their good and for the good of the church to help determine God's calling on this ministry. I hope that you will be praying for these men in this process as we grow and seek the Lord's face for wisdom and direction. The word deacon here means to serve. And the deacons are the chief servants. It doesn't mean you don't serve if you're not a deacon. I've heard people say, I'm not an evangelist, so I'm not going to share my faith. I said, hey, we're all called to be evangelists. And just as we're all called to serve in the church. But the deacons are this men called by God to, to fill this role, to help meet the needs, to, to underguard and support the role of the pulpit ministry of the church. So the people are taken care of while the word is continuing to be proclaimed. These apostles picked 12 men of good reputation. Not everyone can be a deacon. Must be a good reputation, a man full of the spirit, and a man who is wise. I worked in the family business for years, starting out in high school through college, it was an airline. And I think I probably did every role in the airline industry in our family business except for flying the airplane, and that's a good thing. But I've uh, helped uh, fill the airplanes with gas and wash the planes. I worked in reservations. I, I cleaned the planes out and uh, worked as a dispatcher. I was a station manager and you name it, I did it. But I can't imagine an entire situation where I might be back in the airplane doing something and while the plane's flying and working with people and then the pilot would come back to help me. Could you imagine that? The pilot would come back and say, uh, can you imagine? I want to come back and help you, Charlie. I would have said, you get back up there in the cockpit. What are you doing back here doing my job? I'm doing my job to help you do your job. And my granddad, who was the head of the company, would tell us quite often, Charlie, planes sitting on the ground are not making any money. We got to get these planes up in the air for us to make money, and it takes pilots to do that. And friends, for the, what, what, what the apostles are saying here is that they cannot stop preaching the word of God to get back in the airplane to help care for the people. They need to fly the plane. And everybody on the ground wants the pilots to fly the plane. And the apostles are saying, we're going to assemble these men, godly men who we trust, who have a, a very important role. And they're going to care for the needs of the people to free up the apostles to preach and teach the word of God. 
It takes the people on the ground to get the plane in the air. It takes the church and the deacons to get the apostles preaching and teaching here. And I'm so thankful for our deacons and our church. They serve you very faithfully. They care for your needs in so many ways. And for just a moment, I'd like to ask all of our deacons to please stand up. Would you stand up with us? Thank you. We don't get to do this very often. Stand up, deacons. Tim, stand up there. Thank you so much, deacons, for all your hard work and Tim for your leadership. We're so thankful. Number four here is that the apostle said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer. This is what we want the apostles to be doing here. This is what the body of Christ wants the apostles to be doing. Devote yourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word of God. That it would be preached and proclaimed that the lost might hear and get saved and that the body would grow up and mature in their faith. It takes the word of God and the spirit of God to grow as people. And verse 5 tells us, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. I'll bet it did. Because their needs were being cared for and the care of the word ministry was being cared for. It pleased the whole gathering, both the Hellenistics and the Hebrews. And they call, here are the men. Pay careful attention. If you just attended our, we just finished up our How to Study the Bible class. Notice your observations here. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. What do you notice about those names? This is an amazing peacekeeping deal here. All of those names are Greek. They chose the Hellenistic men to help care for all the people, to help hand out and distribute food for everybody. What an amazing compromise here. And this is absolutely brilliant. And verse 7 tells us this, the end result. We had the, the train had to halt. The word is being preached and proclaimed a complaint. They dealt with the complaint and now they're moving on to get back to the primary mission, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. Friends, if there's one mission the devil wants to accomplish, it's just stopping the preaching and teaching of the word of God. He has permeated every area of our society. The only front left for him is to get into is the church. And if the devil stops churches from preaching the word of God, who will be preaching and proclaiming the word of God? You better believe that every church that preaches the word is the devil's battleground. And we are no exception. The word of God continues and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith that even the priests were hearing the gospel. Isn't that amazing? That the Jewish leadership one by one was being picked off by the gospel. You cannot convert sinners without the preaching of the word of God. We are to preach it and not apologize for it or compromise the truth in any way whatsoever. And now this leads us to the most important question as we're beginning to wrap up. Are you ready? This is going to be a Thanksgiving so what? Because we're going to eat very well tonight. So on the count of three, one, two, three. So what? So what? Friends, in every area of our lives, we're all familiar with complaining. I'm sure you could tell story after story of people in your offices. And maybe you have a, a customer service business from your customers, your family members. But here's point number one. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who curse the darkness and those who light a candle. And the question is, is which one are you? 
What we were seeing in this goose mosque was no attempt whatsoever to, to light a candle. It was just a, a murmuring among the people. It was just a grumbling. And it was causing dissension among the people. Church members of Hugon Goose Mosque cursed the darkness. The apostles lit a candle. Someone once said that immature Christians are difficult to please and they're easy to offend. Can that be said of you? Are you hard to please? Do you complain quite a bit? Is your life characterized by just complaining and grumbling about all the things in your life that aren't happening that are your preference? Number two is this, that the preaching of the Word of God grows the people of God. We must all hear the Word of God proclaimed and preached. We must study it and apply it to our lives. Years ago, in fact, it was 20-some years ago, I was uh, at a Weight Watchers. I paid 20 bucks a week to go in on Tuesdays. And uh, they had a, a motivational speaker talk for 10 minutes, and then they weigh you in in front of everybody. That's a lot of fun. And the motivational speaker was talking, and it's in a small room. There's probably 20 of us. And I heard an argument break out behind me. And there was a woman who was yelling at this poor 20-year-old manager saying, I want my money back. And everybody could hear. We're all in the same room. And that became a lot more interesting to me than the guy telling me to stop eating Twinkies. So I turned my chair to the lady. <laughs> And she said, I've been in this program for six months, and I've gained nine pounds. I want my money back. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to be great. I wish I had some popcorn. <laughs> and the manager said something I just had not forgotten. And she said, ma'am, it's not what you do when you're here for 20 minutes a week that causes you to lose weight. It's what you do when you're not here for the rest of the week that causes you to lose weight. Isn't that great? Friends, it's not what you do when you're at church for 40 minutes or an hour or an hour and 20 minutes on Sundays that causes you to grow in your faith. It's what you do the rest of the week that causes you to grow in your faith. How does the rest of the week look for you? As people of God, we must be willing to accept the circumstances and say, Lord, I'm thankful in this situation. It may not be the preference that I desire, but you orchestrate it. Help me to demonstrate my trust in you and not gongusmas. Let my life not be characterized as the person who complains and then number three is this, that you can't grow spiritually unless you are spiritually alive. And the Bible says the moment we are born, we are born spiritually dead. We have no spiritual life in us, that we are all rebellions against God. We are sinners, and the only way we can be made to reconcile to God is through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for our sins. Have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Or are you a lost sinner? Jesus came to Nicodemus. And there was this conversation about the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And to be born, of the again, uh, be born again is being born of the spirit of God. It's an act of God and the work of your life to make you new. Are you saved today? Is your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried and he rose the third day? He is our triumphant King. He is our Lord and Savior. Do you believe the gospel? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I've just been so convicted by this passage all week and help me to continue to grow in my faith. Help all of us to grow to maturity. And let our lives not be characterized by complaining and let us not show any partiality in the church for we are one. We are all equal in the gospel. Father, thank you that the, the preeminence, the, the highest calling of the church is to preach and teach the word of God. Thank you for faithful church members and those who attend. Thank you for faithful deacons. 
and elders who all strive together for the teaching and preaching of the word that the lost might get saved and that the body may mature and grow in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.